Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 37 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Zeke's Elliot's Canine Task Force, a.k.a. Fat Niggas Can't Jump. And I'm joined here by one of my nearest and dearest friends, Demarcus. You got any AKAs for yourself today? I do, actually. As a change of scenery, I got a little little for you, a little petty for you. Okay. I got AKA Baby Bird. You know who I'm talking about? Okay. AKA Luca Magic. Okay. And AKA Silence the Garden. Little Trey Young. Okay. All right. Because wrong. It's a single game. Slow down. Okay. You will be wrong. The Atlanta people will come to the comment section and they will descend upon it. They don't even fuck with you, Demarcus. Like, listen, to I be th- fair, they <laughs> they don't fuck with you. The Atlanta people that watch our pack podcast extra hate you. Listen, I'm an honest, realistic person. I try to do that in my analysis. And I think the when Hawks you said will the win Hawks were overrated earlier this season. They were, but they will win what? this series. Interesting. That team was overrated, but you think they're going to go to the second round of the playoffs. Okay. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into the story of a curious double standard between LeBron James and Kristaps Porzingis when it comes to the NBA enforcing their COVID protocols. We are going to give you the RPO segment, the run pass option segment, where we give you the hottest storylines of sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them. We are going to give you all of our major takeaways of the first round of the NBA playoffs so far, now that we've at least gotten to see one game of each matchup. We are also going to give you our predictions for all the teams in the NFC North, and last but not least, giving a big, big baller's bouquet to Miami Heat player Kendrick Nunn. The, 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 the fly route pod. 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 Y'all, y'all, y'all is Tony Playboy. Welcome to the tea off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get into. This week, this week is pretty interesting. All right. So if you don't know, there's been some iffy things going on with the NBA enforcement of their COVID protocols. NBA superstar face the league LeBron James. Had a little tequila party. With Drake, I, I hear. Champagne Poppy was there, right? I, I heard it was A-list all around. But, I mean, we definitely saw the pictures with Drake on IG. He wasn't trying to hide it. Right? It was a outside event. I want to be very clear about that. It was an outside event that was promoting a tequila brand that he is a part owner slash investor of. And this comes out and everybody's like, hey, th- this looks kind of weird. Uh, LeBron James is basically at a party at an event with a lot of people, right? Not De- social distancing. Not social distancing, not with masks on. Uh, it's definitely larger than I think either the 10 or 15 mark that is in the NBA uh, COVID protocol. So that's what we identify as large. Mm-hmm. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
LeBron James just violated the NBA COVID protocol. And if you are a frequent listener of the Fly Route podcast, we, at the beginning of this, NBA protocols, when they came out, we covered the covered the consequences and we were like, whoa, that type of violation generally comes with a seven to 10 day quarantine. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine losing LeBron James for seven days? We even talked about the playoffs. We did. We did talk about this exact scenario months ago. And how many games it could be. You would functionally lose LeBron James for three plus playoff games. If that happens, they lose this series. I'm telling you that right now. What adds a layer to this story is LeBron himself, who has been very vocal about some of the NBA's health and safety protocols related to COVID. He, for example, said the All-Star game should never have happened, even though we're not really in a much different place than we are now <laughs> when it comes to COVID. Numbers are lower, but we've had vaccines, we've had treatments, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's ironic that not even 60 days ago, LeBron is, we shouldn't even be doing the All-Star game. They said we weren't going to do it, to I got to make some money off this tequila. Right? I don't even think it was about the money for him. I think he's like, I just want to hang out with Drizzy. You know what it is. And Drizzy wants to hang out with LeBron. I guarantee you. (laughs) Yeah, right? So, I mean, look, Hoopers want to be rappers. Rappers want to be Hoopers. Always. Always the thing. Cycle of life. And this was interesting uh, because then later on in the week, Someone, I don't know who it was, takes a picture of Dallas Mavericks star, former New York Nick, Christophe Porzingis, in a bar or club with no mask on. And the NBA ends up investigating. He gets the Lou Will special. And although he didn't snitch on himself, he was just minding his own business. And the picture wasn't even of his face. They were like, the back of your head. (laughs) Seven foot white guys can't be that common, I guarantee you. Especially, no, seven foot white guys aren't that common. There's only like two of them in Dallas. Uh, One's name's Dirk and one's name is Kristaps. And uh, there's a 50-50 chance that's you at this bar. Look, it was interesting because the NBA then turned around and fined Kristaps Porzingis $50,000. That's nothing to him, but okay. It, uh, LeBron got no punishment, no fine, no suspension, no punishment at all. So it's not really, this is very similar to our, our Sterling Brown, Kevin Porter Jr. conversation, right? It's not really the gratuity of the fine. No, it's the idea of the principle. The principle of it, the protocols, the protocols apply to all of us. The protocols only apply when you want them to. And it was interesting because Charles Barkley commented on this. He's like, look, the league does not have the balls, the balls to do anything to LeBron James over this. Yeah, the you know, the unfortunate part is I think the NBA should be more like the MLB. I don't know if you know, but the MLB, if your team, uh, including your coaching staff, reaches a certain threshold, I think it's 75 or 80 percent. They relax all the COVID protocols for you, even more than the NBA does. Um, we know now the CDC looked at their, their guidelines that vaccinated people are very unlikely to spread COVID. And if they are exposed to COVID, they don't have to quarantine. So the NBA does have certain relaxed protocols. They have relaxed protocols in place for vaccinated people and different relaxed protocols in place for teams that reach a vaccination threshold, like you mentioned but those protocols are really just removing the requirement for masks and like internal team meetings mm-hmm. and practices, 
on the planes. They can now serve food on their on their team flights, etc. Right. So it made sense why Christoph Porzingis wasn't suspended because Christoph Porzingis is vaccinated. We know that to be true. LeBron James, on the other hand, he not. He will neither confirm nor deny. He was asked after this this whole thing went off, because if he is vaccinated, then it becomes a much smaller issue. It becomes very similar to this Christoph Porzingis issue in which you are not a risk of spread to the league. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just like, hey, facts. There there could be a monetary penalty, but that's really what it is. LeBron James is not confirming or denying if he's vaccinated. He says that's a private discussion for his him and his family members and that he's doing what's best for his family. Mm-mm. reporters then doubled down on the question and his response was, and I quote, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, LeBron, you're just wrong. Again, once again, you're wrong. Listen, it's just like masking. The vaccines are not about just you or just you and your family. It's about everybody around you and everybody you come in contact with and who they come in contact with. So if some model that Drizzy flew in uh, had COVID and LeBron is unvaccinated and then gets COVID. He gives it to his whole family. He gives it to Bronny. He gives it to AD, possibly give it to Aiden or Booker, who's dapping up after the game. And we have a whole series marred because LeBron thought this was just a personal matter. Look, LeBron contends that all individuals at this event were either vaccinated or returned a negative COVID test on that day. Mm-mm, that's not good enough. We know it's not good enough. We saw that. During the NBA and NFL season, people could test like Kevin Durant situation earlier this season. Test negative, then an inconclusive, then a positive. Like a negative test does not mean you do not have COVID. The best protection from you getting sick from COVID is a vaccine. Look, look, the the league thought that that was also good enough. They were like, we look at this in fact, case by case basis. You know, Bron is Bron. He run this shit. Basically. I mean, look, it was interesting. It was interesting. Kristaps Porzingis, I'm sure he's not really fretting on it, especially being up 2-0 against the L.A. Clippers right now. No. So that was your tee-off. Ooh, 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 spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, ooh. sis. What's, what's, what's up, playboy? All right, let's get into the RPO segment, the run pass option, where we give you the hottest storylines in sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them. All right, Demarcus, take us away. First question is about Philadelphia Eagles assistant uh, offensive line coach Eugene Chung. Stories have come out in the last week that he has had comments made about him, about his ethnicity in the hiring process. Things like, quote, you're not the right minority etc. Runner pass on the NFL possibly taking action on this kind of hate toward other minorities. So I don't think the NFL is going to take action. They are quote unquote investigating though. But the thing is, Eugene Chung has not been willing to name the team that he was interviewing with. And it's interesting because a lot of people are questioning his motives. So the background behind the story is actually quite important. He was on a panel for Asian diversity and kind of in sports, their participation in sports. It's honestly with all the stories we heard from Jeremy Lin earlier 
this year. Mm-hmm. Like it is actually something that's important to focus on. And he tells the story about how he was interviewing for a head coaching job and he was told that he was not the right minority. He also tells stories all throughout his going up through sports, how coaches said he would never get big enough to be an O-lineman because he's eating with chopsticks, right? It was actually part of a series of stories where he was telling his experiences, but he doesn't have an agenda that he is trying to push. He's been very forward about that. And it's interesting because this is the guy that played five years in the league, been a coach for almost a decade, mm-hmm. and hasn't been able to get another job in the last two years. And people are really questioning his motives. I don't have a lot of confidence in the NFL doing something about this because they it's going to be difficult for them to find the party, especially since he doesn't want to say and who's going to be the snitch. Because you know that's in a room with several people who could be the snitch. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anything's going to happen. I'll pass on anything happening, but I will run on the content and that conversations like this are important. No, I totally agree. They are important. We're going to now move on to something a little less serious. Uh, Adam Vinatieri, after 24 NFL seasons kicking the football, has announced his retirement. Uh, runner pass on Adam Vinatieri being a first ballot Hall of Famer. Run. That's not even hard. Adam Vinatieri is the greatest kicker of all time. And that should not be a controversial take. He has four chips, the most of any kicker ever. He is the NFL's all-time leading scorer. I don't think you can be the NFL's all-time leading scorer and not be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, that is the ultimate snub, if you ask me. And, like, yes, he did play with some of the greatest quarterbacks that we ever know. A chip with Peyton Manning, three with Tom well, Brady. Hold on. Tom don't have at least two of those without Adam Vinatieri. That's what I'm about to say. <laughs> that's that's actually what I'm about to say. He has played with the great some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time. And they would be the first person to tell you that Adam Vinatieri and that monster leg of his bailed them out of many of tough situations. You hear the greats always say it. Like when what Aaron Rodgers told Dak. Oh, what did he tell Dak? He told Dak. He told Dak that, hey, you played a really great game. You did better than me, but sometimes, you know, your kicker just gets you across the finish line. Oh, you're talking about Mason Crossbar? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, Mason Crosby. He is talking about specifically how those they make the difference in a lot of oh. very close games. Oh, in that playoff game, yeah. If it's not for Mason Crosby, Dak beats Aaron Rodgers. And look, so, that story's not a thing. And, and so, yes, first Bella Hall of Famer. You got to give him his respect because the man is an all-time legend. Now, another legend who's also going to continue to play. We just don't know where at. Aaron Rodgers currently vacationing in Hawaii, living his best life. He's not showing up for currently voluntary OTAs with the Packers. Runner pass on this situation. Oh, run, run, run. Look, Aaron Rodgers has already broken up with the Packers. They they just refuse to it. Uh, Accept it, right? And he knows he has all the leverage. So Aaron Rodgers opts out of OTAs. Guess who also opts out of OTAs? Devontae. The top five wide receivers on the depth chart. Ooh. <laughs> Not just Devontae, the top five? Ooh. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The top five wide receivers on the depth chart opt out with him. So Jordan Love is just out there throwing to people that Scrubs. will probably never see the field. Coaches? Practice squad. <laughs> Right. So practice squad. So it's just tough. I will say this. 
the interview he did with Kenny Mayne recently was amazing. And it's the first time we actually got to see Aaron Rodgers speak out on this situation himself, not like through the grapevine, through people that he used to play with. These are Aaron Rodgers' words. And he says a couple of super, super telling things to me that the Packers fans should focus on. The first is he's like, when the respect is gone, you know, it's hard to really build anything. And the second is just like, they've forgotten that it's about the people. It's about the people. And I think he's saying, y'all ain't really treat me like the person that I am. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he loves everybody on the team. He's like, I love my coaches. I love the players, you know, and the only thing he doesn't love is the front office staff. Oh, he hates them. I'm saying that Aaron Rodgers is smart. We know that. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is cerebral. We know that. I don't think it was an accident that he left out the front office staff in the list of all the things he loves. He's like, it's not LaFleur. Me and him, we cool. We had a little bit of a tiff, but we cool. I like that guy a lot after the second year. Like, if you if you, if you you just listen to the history of their relationship and how things ran, he's like, I love my teammates. You know? I love my coaches. You know, I love the fans. I love Green Bay. Something's missing. Sometimes the things that you don't say are just as important as the things that you do say. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was going to move on to the next situation we have brewing. We have the NBA draft coming up very soon. People are all about being in person these days. And the NBA says that's cool, but you got to get vaccinated. Runner pass on the NBA requiring draft attendees to be vaccinated. So I, I will pass besides that means that I guess we are unsure whether or not LeBron James is able to attend the NBA draft if he wanted to. Mm. Huh. Yes. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but I do think it's interesting. They also have some exemptions for medical and religious reasons. People have been quite critical of these exemptions being kind of carte blanche for people who aren't interested in doing this at all. And we have seen a, a quite more than some people would have expected resistance in the sports community to vaccinations i will say it's kind of interesting in comparison to the nfl who is saying they expect all their stadiums to be at full capacity this season well listen it is what it is (laughs) at this point i think people at least in america think this is over and they're moving on okay i'm with you so let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about Julio Jones. Julio Jones has been the guy that's on everybody's mind as of late. Mm-hmm. And he recently said publicly that he wanted out of Atlanta. <laughs> and more importantly, said he did not want to go to the, well, sorry, your Dallas Cowboys because he just wants to win. Man, and what might have been a, you know, tapped conversation during Undisputed Live this week? Do you think a runner pass on him knowing that he was on live TV and B, do you think this is the image the Cowboys have now in the league? Um, A, on the first question, I'll run. I I think he may have known. I don't think Shannon. Shannon's a pretty cool guy. Uh, from what he says, he, he calls in even referring to himself, hey, this Uncle Shannon, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, and so I would think that maybe he texted Julio beforehand, maybe before the show, because if they they have a pre-production meeting where they talk about what's going to be discussed in the in the episode. And so I assume if he thinks that this is a question that maybe he texts Julio and say, can I call you 
at X time on the air. Maybe. I don't know. And also, the audio was really good for it to have just been a speakerphone conversation. I mean, I think that I think the undisputed people have quite good technology. They, they probably do, right? but I think they had to have been prepared to capture. Because also, why would he have his phone on set with him normally? Because you don't, you don't normally have your phone in case it goes off. Well, I don't know. Your phone would be on silent. Maybe. I don't know. He, he's it just, a grown-ass man. It just <laughs> it seems possible, or at least probable, that he had a conversation and he seems like a good enough guy. A lot wouldn't. of people are saying he might have not, and Shannon Sharp could have broken the same law that people were talking about AB on. Uh, you remember the mm-hmm. AB conversation with um, Gruden? Yeah, it was possibly wiretapped, and how like that's a you know crime in California, up to a year in jail, and Fox has refused to say anything about this. Okay, I, I like the mystery. The second part, I don't think his comment about winning in Dallas is really connected. Um, to Dallas's reputation at this point, um, I, I I wasn't offended by it when I originally heard it at whatsoever. I don't want Julio <laughs> in Dallas. Um, like as good as he is, he's like a thirty three year old receiver who costs like twenty million a year. That right now it doesn't. That's not what we need. We don't need more oh. receivers. <laughs> so, and if he came here, he would take some resources away. So yeah, if he came to Dallas, we wouldn't be winners. I think he's right about that. And so I'm not offended by it whatsoever. I will reiterate that we did talk about this a few weeks ago on the fly route, and I said he should go to Detroit. It's looking like uh, Atlanta does not want to move him in conference, but they will take whatever the best offer is for him. And I think if anyone's offering a first-round draft pick, I think the chances of the Lions having a high first-round draft pick is higher than a lot of teams. You know what I think happened? What's that? I think Julio Jones is going to say, I didn't know. I was I was live. You know that's not me. You know that's not my style, right? That's that's the marker for him. He's the diva wire receiver talent with none of the diva, right? That that's that's like the cliche way to describe Julio Jones. And I think I do think because that's not Shannon's style that they did this. Everybody else on Undisputed did not know, but they knew. Because Julio was trying to take control of the narrative. He was like, the Falcons are shopping me. But they're not shopping me like, you know, let's say Detroit shopped Matt Stafford. Right? Where they were like, hey, where do you want to go? Where don't you want to go? We'll try to get something back from those teams in that order. They're just shopping him for the best offer they can find. And I don't think Julio's feeling that. So Julio's trying to take control of the media narrative to... Maybe scare off certain teams to think he'd be disgruntled there, but also kind of put Atlanta on the spot. Well, I'm not sure it was all that. I think it's partly, I think he's a smart guy. I think part of this may have been premeditated and planned even possibly on Julio's part. Before this came out, people were, the reason why there was even a question about Dallas was that there was a photo of Julio Jones in Dallas wearing a Dallas Cowboys hoodie with a fan taking a picture. And so... And that came about because apparently he's been working out in Dallas with Amari Cooper and some other Alabama guys. I mean, you don't think Julio's team could do it? We thought Deshaun Watson's team could do all the things. We thought, like, we think, we think all the quarterbacks have the team. Russell Wilson's team could do all the things. Why can't Julio's? I think, well, I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying they can't. I think they may have, actually. <laughs> All right, uh, that, that's going to bring me into some more Julio Jones adjacent news. So we've seen other wide receivers like 
lobby lobbying, right? AJ Brown's doing TikTok videos mm-hmm. telling Julio Jones why he needs to be with the Tennessee Titans. We have seen DeAndre Hopkins, you know, sending the cryptic Twitter messages and actively saying, I would restructure my contract if you could get Julio Jones in this building. And Mohamed Sanu on Twitter made a pretty astute comment to me is that I think the NFL super teams are on the way. Run or pass on NFL players starting to create their own super teams. Um, I'll run real quick. I don't think it's a thing. Uh, the NFL players do not have nearly as much power as NBA players do, uh, neither in the short nor the long term. You have less guaranteed money, higher risk of injuries. There are more variables on every team to being a super team and being good. Remember the Eagles team a while back who had Mike Vick and they had signed uh, Namni Asamoah and a bunch of people and they were supposed to be a super team. And they, I'm not talking about the like GM puts together a super team. I'm well, talking about however it happens, players grouping up together to play somewhere. I just think however it happens in the nature of the NFL, the more complexity to every every play, every snap. There are more people who are involved and that have to make a good play. If you're a good running back, you need the offensive line to do their job. If you're a wide receiver, you need the quarterback, the O-line, the running back, everybody to do their job and maybe a cornerback to slip to be able to do your thing. And so I don't think there will be super teams created by players because players don't have the power to force their way out as easily in the NFL. I don't think that there is you know, the, the want to by owners to give in to that either. I think the owners want to do everything they can in the NFL to hold the line and hold the power that they have right now. I, I, okay, I see what you're saying. I just want to give you a little pushback. You know, Brady gets the Tampa, puts together the expendables, gets yes. exactly what he wants, you know. Rodgers isn't getting what he wants. Now he's trying to force his way out. We saw Deshaun Watson recently do the same thing. But I think the Brady thing is the him and the team working together. I think he came there. You don't think the Cavaliers and Braun? Oh, no. I think some teams actively don't work with their star player. And, and some think, teams do. Yeah. Right. I, LeBron, we, we've talked about for years, LeBron just trading niggas away like chess pieces to build his perfect team that he could take to the finals every year. Yes and no. So I think that in some cases, um, teams are better at working with their star player. I think in other cases, they are not and actively try not to work with them to create. It's kind of like a whole thing where they're trying to make it seem like there's no player that's above the others and they try to make them all seem even. And we know that's not true. Quarterbacks are literally different players like LeBron or KD or whoever are different. You cannot treat them the same as everybody else, but you get where I'm going. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm interested to see how this starts developing over the next couple of years. I really do think athletes teaming up, especially with all the cap and contract stuff, and ingenuity that we saw happen this year when the cap went down and all of a sudden the voidable years are popping up and the capologists are getting way more creative. And now we, we might see the possibility of being able to make these things work because of the adversity the cap dropping created. Last thing, and this is actually something that I'm super excited and actually think is very important to talk about is a Kwame Brown update. Kwame, Kwame, Kwame. The first thing that I learned, because I'm still in the Kwame Brown hole, I'm not going to lie to you, is that Kwame is making bank, bank. Just off like YouTube donations. 
Like, this man would make Dr. Umar Johnson proud right now. <laughs> That's the type of donations he's getting. Like, I was in a Kwame Brown live stream, and I saw him make thousands of dollars in mere minutes in donations. Time, time out. Why were you in a Kwame Brown live stream, and when was this going on? Like, two days ago, uh, I, as I told you, I'm deep down the Kwame Brown hole. His YouTube God, channel is fascinating. I didn't know how deep you were. Well, okay, the weird thing that you might not understand is, like, almost all the Kwame Brown videos are live streams. It's on his YouTube channel. Mm. So, they're all live streams. I just happen to catch one live, mm. right? And when I caught the one live, I watched him make thousands of dollars in, like, a matter of minutes. Like, a matter of, like, three minutes. That's how that's how fast the donations were just pouring in. Uh, but more importantly, is that a stack five, you know, Stephen Jackson has publicly apologized to Kwame Brown. He did a public video apology in an interview. He said that he was wrong, said that it doesn't matter if Kwame accepts his apology or not, because apologizing is about admitting that you did something that you were wrong in, and that he does not want to take part in the tearing down of other black men, especially NBA players, because his show is supposed to be the counter narrative for that. Run or pass on this being the end of all of this? I'll run. I don't know that it's the end. I, I caught a little bit of this Kwame video today, actually. not I wasn't live streaming it, but I did watch a little bit today. I knew we were going to talk about it. And Kwame is like, first, he, I don't think he accepted it. <laughs> He's like, uh, you said that was a joke, a bad joke, but a joke. And Kwame is like, I should never have been the butt of any of your jokes. We're both a part of the same brotherhood. He kind of, they alluded to that stuff that they talked about a little bit. And that was kind of where Kwame is at. I don't think he's done. I think it's possible someone could call him and be like, can we get you on a show? Because Kwame says real interesting things and people seem to click on it. And so I don't know that it's done because this could literally launch Kwame Brown's media career or at least his YouTube career and make a whole bunch of money. And so until this is totally out of the news cycle, I don't think it's done. He also says that we should boycott the Breakfast Club, to be clear. Charlemagne also apologized. I don't know if you saw that. He, he I did see Charlemagne apologize, but I saw Kwame wants all the smoke with Charlemagne still. Like, I don't think... I haven't seen him take a lot of shots at Stack anymore, but I see him still like boycott the Breakfast Club. We're done with them. He also has some complaints about how the media is portraying him and only taking pieces of what he says to make him seem violent or extremely aggressive. And I will say, in the grand scheme of that, I do partially agree. I don't disagree. I just think that everybody knows what the internet and social media and the media are, and they're their own beast and their own monsters. And if you put it out there, no matter what it looks like or your intentions, they will do whatever the hell they want with it. Same thing on this podcast. If I end up seeing a video of me in five years doing something stupid or some somebody's remixed it, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not going to be too mad. I know that that's a risk when I put something out on the internet. I think Kwame should be more aware of that risk and live with it. I mean, he seems to be living with it. He ain't stopping. So he seems to have gotten more attention and has kept it on. All right, let's get into our takeaways from the first round of the NBA playoffs. We gave y'all picks for about, what, six of the eight series because the two other two had not been 
finalized. Uh, fi- finalized at the time of the last episode. And we are at the point where we have seen two games of most of the series. We're recording on Wednesday night. So game two of the Grizz versus Jazz is tonight, as well as the 76ers and Wizards. But I want to start with the West, and I want to start with the Clippers versus the Mavericks. <laughs> yes, yes, Man. indeed. Get your shit off, Demarcus. Where Get was, your shit off. Where is this energy? I told, I told you this energy was lacking. I told you the Clippers did not want to keep the same energy of pulling up on LeBron. And if you don't want to pull up on LeBron, you show as hell don't want to pull up on Luka. Luka is working them right now. And the problem with the Clippers is not offense. Playoff P actually showed up this time. He scored some points. He just stopped playing defense. No one played defense. I was, I was, uh, I watched game two and I was yelling at the TV. I'm like, why aren't you guarding anybody? Like they took, I want to say like 18 plus open threes. Like someone not within two feet of the shooter. In game two. Yeah, I believe the stat is like they had seven wide open or open threes. Mm-hmm. And they had like six more of like a, another category of open. Y- y- yes. But wide they were open, open is like six feet. Yes. And open is like two feet or some, two to four or something like that. And that's just insane. The They didn't fight over any, any of the switches. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas trying to get the switch onto Pat Bev, who he been told y'all was too fucking small. And... They just kept giving it. They just kept giving it over and over again. Listen, I think this series is about over. They have game three in Dallas. Dallas is going to have about 18,000 fans in the building. I don't think that the Clippers team is mentally tough enough. I don't think Paul George is mentally tough enough to recover from this. Paul George said he puts no pressure on his game. He just got to go out there and do it. He said the same thing last year in the bubble where he's now saying that he had all kinds of mental health struggles. Have your struggles. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that or admitting that. But it is okay to admit when you're not strong enough and you're not strong enough to overcome this. Look, my biggest takeaway is that Luka is a dog. Not a really good player. Not an all-star caliber player. Not like baby bird potential. No, my takeaway is Luka Doncic is a dog. He Look, were you not surprised when Luca yelled, you too fucking small, in Pat Bev's face? Or now, when Luca hits shots on people, he's just berating them down the court <laughs> and running with them. That is dog activity. That is Listen, Kevin Garnett energy. It is, it is, you could even say Mamba mentality. It, it, look, Kobe taught sometimes, but Kobe would kill you just with the game. Oh, Luca gonna kill you on the court, too. That's what I'm, I'm saying. That's KG energy that Luca is talking his shit I, down the court after putting buckets on people. I'm not surprised, though. Luca has been playing pro ball since he was a teenager that in That wasn't Europe. him last year. That, that's I, what I'm saying. It wasn't him last year. Maybe He's a dog now. I think he's getting more comfortable being around NBA players. He knows that he belongs now. Where maybe he, he questions he's it a little better bit than every motherfucker well, okay. on the floor. He belonged before. He thinks he's better now. Yeah, he and thinks I think he's he better might... than everybody on the floor. I think he's right. He's the best player on the floor in this series. Oh, it, it was that was my big takeaway from the series is that Luca has taken the next step and he is a dog. Listen, I listen, told y'all from day one, they didn't want that smoke. Luca pulled up and I said, I work at a cigarette factory. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought I thought the Clippers had something. 
Uh, Kawhi Leonard is currently packing his bags and looking for his next de- destination. Calling his uncle right now. Uh, all right, let's talk about the Lakers versus the Suns. This one was pretty pretty interesting. CP3 had a pretty bad what looks like shoulder injury in game one. In game two, he was hobbled, to say the least, right? Like, Monty Williams had to pull him out after like 20 minutes. So they're giving big minutes to like Cameron Payne. Other rotation spots. What's your large takeaway from this game, this series so far? Not even this series at this point, but Chris Paul's career. Does someone have a voodoo doll of him come April and May? Did he get transported into the Black Clover universe and Megekula put a curse on him? Why is this man always hurt in the playoffs? And I honestly, at this point, I'm kind of upset. Because we have not gotten to experience an entire healthy playoff run from the man we call the point god. And it has possibly marred this series to be much worse than it should have been. Look, the Suns still played great without him for most of that game, too. They are not going to quit. They are a good team. They're not, no. a, they're not like Dallas, who if Luka happened to fall out, that, that team has nothing. No, but Booker, Booker's a dog, too. Booker carried them down the stretch in game one after Chris Paul got injured. I think that Booker will make a series out of it. I think if Chris Paul remains hobbled and doesn't recover to at least 80%, this series is probably over in six and the Lakers win it. All right, all right. The next series is actually like, it's super competitive. It's my favorite series so far. The Nuggets versus the Portland Trailblazers. So I don't have a ton to say about this. Game, if I remember right, game one ended kind of oddly. Is that right? On some weird. Game one, I'm pretty, I feel like the Portland Trailblazers had handily. Game two, I feel like the Nuggets had handily. Uh, and the crazy part is, though, a lot of playoff games are like that. Like game one, they held uh, they held Nikola Jokic to one assist, right? That was, that was the big takeaway from game one is they were like, yo, go ahead and score, Jokic. Score to your heart's content. No one else will beat us. And game two, he came out and he was like, I mean, if that's what you want, I'm going to put Nurk in a blender all night long. He's a better big. I mean, I, that's I, not a. Not I even mean, close. Denver traded Nurk to Portland because they got Jokic. They knew yeah. he was a better big. No, I, I think. Good. It'll be a good competitive series. I said from the beginning, I think that Jokic at a certain point is just going to do his thing in this series. I think it probably, it, it goes seven, I think. I it, think goes it goes seven, seven and it's Dame time I'm waiting for. Dame time in game seven. Yes. Yes. Continue the resume of I'm the most clutch player on the planet. Right. Uh, and I will just say, I've been, I love the, the thing I took away the most from game two is I love the switch after the first half when Dane went crazy. He scored like 13 points in two minutes or something, just bombing from the three, is that I really like the switch of putting Aaron Gordon on Dame Lillard instead of Compazzo, right? Like, he shut him down for the second half. He was aggressive. He was staying in front of him. Limited his shots, limited his ability to get his shots off. And we didn't see a lot of people play Dame Lillard one-on-one this year. And Aaron Gordon kind of showed up to the test. 
No, when that trade happened, I said that they needed that that third person to come and help carry some of the load come playoff time. Aaron Gordon has been that guy toward the end of the regular season post-All-Star break, and he has been that guy through two games of the playoffs. I hope it continues, but I want to talk about someone else who's having a breakout time right now. I think you know where I'm going. All right. Ja Morant, the series is the Jazz versus the Grizzlies. There's a whole lot here, a whole lot going on. And can we first talk about the Donovan Mitchell shit? Yeah, so for those who don't know, Donovan Mitchell has been hurt. He's been out since mid-April. Yes. He but has been on track to rehab and play in game one of the playoffs. But during the rehab process, he did not fully trust the the Jazz medical team. So he brought in his own staff to rehab with and Evaluate, his, evaluate injury. his injury as well. And this is a more and more common thing, especially since Kawhi's thing back in 20, was that 2016, mm. 2017, something like that. Short, long story short, game one's coming up. His team clears him. The official uh, team, medical team, does not. He finds this out at like four o'clock the day of the game after thinking he was going to play, been practicing three consecutive days. Yeah, everybody thought he was going to play. His, his teammates, teammates thought he was going to. He looked good. He looked healthy. He felt good. And it's the playoffs. He'd been out for a month. No matter. We saw LeBron. He was out. Playoffs came around. Get a couple tune-up games. And you got to roll. You heard or not, you got to roll. And so it was really strange for him to be a late scratch and then to be already cleared to play in game. Or he got cleared to play in game two right after game one, basically. I think because he kind of threw the gauntlet down. Well, yeah, because after he found out about his scratch, he went out and did a shoot around. Yes, he did. As if he was like, you know, healthy, ready to play. He wanted to show people. And then he was active and told the media that he was frustrated with the decision that was made. He was disappointed and that he had his own staff and they said he was ready to go, that he was ready to go and that he needed to be out there. I think he did need to be out there. I think in these kind of cases where the team and the player disagree, as long as if the if the player signs a waiver or something. No, I don't like that because it's the opposite. Usually we're worried about the team oh, yeah. pressuring the player to, to come go back out. earlier than they need to. A la, we think, KD, right before tearing his Achilles. What? It, it, it is. I disagree because he said he wanted to be out there. They but always want to be out there. That's the whole point. They are some of the greatest competitors on planet Earth. They always want to be out there. In general, the team is supposed to function as a buffer to protect you from you. Monty Williams, in game two against the Lakers, pulled Chris Paul out. Chris Paul did not want to come out. He only played 20 minutes. and He's like, I need to protect you from yourself. I get that, but in this case, he practiced three days leading up to the game. So he was healthy. They thought he was good enough to practice and not get hurt. So what well, changed? Your practices aren't hard contact. Well, they're not they hard. Full speed. Like practicing just means that you can be out there and put weight on your injury, do some moves. Like it does not mean that you are NBA playoff intensity ready. Okay, maybe it doesn't mean that you're 100% healthy, but it seems like you're healthy enough that the risk is minimized. I, I'm just saying, I think it's interesting that this is the opposite situation than we are usually concerned about. Yes. Um, I'll say, though, because it's the opposite, I'm more comfortable with him overriding the team. Okay. Because um, it's his, ultimately his body and his career and his reputation. Now, the series as a whole. Yo. Because <laughs> Ja is the reason that this eight seed is giving them the work right now. 
and making and every Dylan Brooks. single. Yo. Yes. Dylan Brooks is not supposed to play like that. And I don't mean that as like an aside Dylan Brooks. Like Dylan Brooks is not supposed to play like that. He's not supposed to drop 40 on you ever. Yeah. Dylan Brooks is cash. <laughs> Dylan Brooks is cash and playing great defense on the other side. I just think this Grizzlies team is not afraid. Mm-mm. They have nothing to lose. Nothing. And they are ready to ball. Well, they've been playing elimination games for a hot second now. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. I'm impressed. I think regardless, this game, prob- this series probably goes six at worst. Uh, Donovan Mitchell coming back makes me confident that they will win the series as we did not give you our prediction before. Uh, and I, I'm. this has been great so far. Great playoffs. I think we're seeing the new generation of stars have their coming of age party. That includes Luca. That includes John Morant. I think in ten years, when they're talking, we're talking about and looking back on Josh's career, this will be the kind of first milestone for him to check off. Was he didn't win the series, but he got his team to the playoffs, even with a bunch of injuries around him. He performed well and giving them hope for next year and what they're building in Memphis. All right, all right. Let's move on to the East. And the first one is probably the quickest one: the Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics. This series is already over. Uh, I think it was over before we talked about it, before it started. Uh, you gave them a gentleman sweep. You refused to say four, right? I'm saying Do four you- now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking It's not looking too hot at all for Boston. I, I think all the rumors about Brad Stevens, et cetera, are wrong. Those people should be quiet. They should put the team back together next year, try to improve. But right now, they don't have the dogs to compete against the Nets. They just don't have it, and it's clear. And the Brown injury is not helping that. And... This is about over. Uh, the question is, are they going to pack it in? That's it. Hey, I'm interested to see Kyrie play in the garden with fans finally. Uh, let's move on to what I think is the most surprising series so far. The seven. Look, actually, let's talk Heat Bucks. Mm, mm, heat mm, Bucks. Mm, mm. The Heat being down 0-2 is not something I foresaw. I think, you know, the Bucs got a little lucky in game one in a really tight game, went to overtime. Middleton wins on a game-winning shot. Like, that's a close game. That makes me think we are in for a fight. And then game two happened. And the Heat got ran off the court. They got ran out of Milwaukee by Pat Connaughton and a bunch of other players that Aren't bad, Mm-mm. but damn, you would have think that they had three Curries on the court the way they were seeking threes last night. Yeah, the Bucks team has not been as consistent shooting threes as they have been in this playoff series thus far. I don't know if they can keep that up, and certainly not against a team like the Nets, but I think they can keep it up against the Heat because, like I said, of the offensive tweaks they have, having P.J. Tucker, having Middleton, etc., changes things up and change the dynamic of their offense and spacing on the floor. And I think all the tweaks they did in the regular season are starting to pay dividends. And I think they needed, they did the opposite of what the Clippers did. They played all their guys in the last games of the season, and they basically made this matchup happen in round one. They could have taken the Knicks instead. They could have. Or the Hawks, one of the two. One of the two, but not the team that beat them last year. Yes. And they said, no, 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 we're going to play hard against the Heat at that. And then we're going to turn around and see them again in the playoffs because if the if the Bucs are going to win, if Giannis is going to do his thing, 
They have got to shake this gorilla off their back, and they have to do it early. And this is what the Clippers should have done. They should have right. took it, taken on the challenge and beaten the team that you need to beat early on. Or they could have just won the second game and gotten Portland. They could have. <laughs> uh, like, look, they could have still avoided the Lakers and just gotten Portland. Look. Uh, Sticking with your heat? Uh, that was actually my question for you. You had Bucks in six. Do you still think it goes six? Um, I think it. Mm, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm between five and six right now. Uh, so it's going back to Miami. Yes, it I is. I think at the very worst case scenario, they split. I don't think the Heat win two in a row. Okay. And that means that they go back to Milwaukee up 3-1, and that makes the, the gentlemen's much more likely. Okay, okay. I think I expect the Heat to punch back. I don't expect the Heat to roll over. I expect the Heat to allow this to at least go six. If it gets to seven, I'm... I, I'm I'm keeping my heat in seven prediction, but uh, I don't think it'll get there. That's fair. I think they have to win a game five for it to get to six, the, though. Okay. They have to win that game in Milwaukee. Okay. All right. Let's talk 76ers Wizards. Right? And Bede has been playing fantastic. Tobias Harris, game one. That's a new man. Yo. There's something about him and Doc Rivers together. Oh, matter of fact, why are we talking about how Doc Rivers watching the Clippers implode is the ultimate karma? Listen, couple. Let, well, first off, let's give some credit to to buy the new Mrs. Harris. He got married this season. Maybe she's a part of this this no. this growth. Come on, look, <laughs> he can he can be in love and be happy all he wants. What we do know is when he plays with Doc, he is a entirely different class of player. You know how some people just are like that coach understood me. That coach understood what made me good or effective, put me in those positions to win. I think that's just who Doc Rivers is for Tobias Harris. It's who he has been for Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is passing out of the double team better than he ever has before. His mid-game, his mid-range game is significantly better. Like, I just think he is really kind of let these players flourish in the, to their best selves. I think that's true. I think the Horford getting out of there is a part of that as well, creating a lot of space um, and minutes for other guys. That's that was a part of their problem Darryl was spacing, Morey. and Daryl Morey saw what this team needed. He saw exactly what chess piece to move. He figured out how to move it, and then Doc, with the players he had left, figured out how to make it work. Uh, kudos to them. I I want them to succeed. I want to see the Sixers get to a conference championship. I, they're my pick for out the East, and I I just want to see the process be finished. I mean, that's really they've been my pick out the East since the beginning of the season before Game One. I think. But for me to say the process is done, I need to see them in an NBA Finals. And then I'll be like, process done. You keep both Ben Simmons and Embiid. I think we know what happens now. Because I think that's also the question that's lingering. Okay. Now, another young point guard. We got to talk about Trey Young. Hawks, Knicks. Game one. Trey Young goes to the garden. Ends the game. Silences the crowd with a little floater from the And then says the it's quiet in here. It is real <laughs> quiet in there. That's also something that's that Trey Young is also a dog. But this has been a thing for a long time of opposing players going to the garden and showing out. I mean, because the garden is the mecca of basketball. Yeah. Jordan used to do it. Kobe wanted to do it. Bron does it. Steph does like every D Rose used to do it when he played for Chicago. I mean, he played in the garden. And played when he played in the garden. Twice. People people, opposing teams really love showing up. 
And they were also talking mad shit about Trey Young. The crowd was. I mean, that's they're, they're supposed to. That's their New York thing. Yeah, that's their job. Yeah. And so, love the Hawks, what they're doing in this series. I think the biggest part, though, is not Trey Young in the offense, but the defensive job they've done against Julius um, in the first game. Because he did not look like himself. And if he has Yikes. two more games like that in the series, they lose this series. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm still riding with the Knicks. It's only been one game. I expect them to pick up the second in the garden. It happens tonight, so we won't really know until, you know, it ends. But ugh, I think that Tibbs needs to make some adjustments, and we're going to see it. We need to see more Derrick Rose, especially in crunch time. If you remember last episode, I was like, what really matters is in crunch time, you have the veteran presence of Derrick Rose who can carry you through. And then he sat Derrick Rose in crunch time. He wanted to rest them now, I guess. I don't know. I, I, that was a big what the fuck moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like, that's what carries through at the end, especially playoff basketball. But no, uh, I'm interested to see how all the rest of these series shake out. And it's been pretty exciting so far. It's, it's, it's a Playboy affair. All right, we're going to get into our predictions for the NFC North this season. And I'm pretty interested to see where we got things going. I'm going to kick this one off. You know, of course, uh, what else can I say besides bear down? So where do you have the Bears finishing in the division? All right, I think we're going to go 9-8. and eight. I think we're going to go 9-8. and eight. I think some people will try to tell you that this is too high of a prediction for the Bears and I'm 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 not interested in that. Matt Nagy has never had a losing season. And Matt Nagy is a quite good coach. He has a very high floor, and this team is in a much better position than it was last year. I'm looking at our schedule and I'm not too concerned with the strength of it, even though it's one of the hardest schedules in the NFL next year. It's like uh in the top five or something like that. And I think we're gonna rise to the challenge. I'm looking at this and I Everybody wants to hear it. What's your ideal start date for Justin Fields looking at our schedule? And for me, I think my favorite ideal start point for Justin Fields would be week 12 versus the Detroit Lions. Walk him into an easy one, right? And then he gets the Cardinals after that. Then the Packers, the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Giants, the Vikings again. Right, I think that's the point where our schedule gets the softest. It's right after we finish up with the Ravens defense, the Steelers defense, the 49ers defense, and the Buccaneers defense. Right, that's a that's a really tough slog of weeks back to back to back of really strong defenses. We assume to be that I would rather have Andy Dalton deal with. Week twelve is my Justin Fields start point. I think we're gonna take a game from the Packers this year. I'm debating on whether it's going to be early or late. My current feel is is more likely to be our late season game with Justin playing than it is our early season game. Uh, And that's just if they keep Aaron Rodgers, if they lose, if they lose Aaron Rodgers, I think we can easily go 10 and seven. Yeah. That's the elephant sitting over here in the room is, is Aaron Rodgers going to be in this division week one and for the entirety of the season? Yes. I think we go 10 and 7 if he's not, not 9 and 8. I think now, we go 10 and 7 if he's not. I'm going to assume he's going to be there. Okay. The Packers, unlike the Houston Rockets, seem very comfortable. Texans. Or 
No, I mean like the Rockets with James Harden. They oh. they are they seem very comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> um, and I don't think they're in any rush to trade Aaron Rodgers, no matter what he does. Um, and so I think he's gonna be there. I think you're. I think I actually agree with you. I didn't even look at your your stuff. I agree. I think the Bears are gonna finish nine and eight. I think they'll finish either second or third in the division, depending on tiebreakers with the Vikings. I have the Vikings finishing at nine and eight right now. Um, I mostly agree with uh, even the couple wins and losses on there. We kind of lined up somehow. Okay. Football gods came down and blessed us. Um, I think it's going to be, I'm going to talk about Minnesota for a second. I think Minnesota's going to have a bit of a rough year for what they're expecting. They think oh. they're going to be a really good team. You think so? They think that. You think so? I think so. I honestly think that they're actually getting ready for Kellen Mond, and they don't think they're a good team anymore. Yeah, I think they're getting ready for Kellen Mond, and I don't think they think they're a good team anymore. And I think that they are prepping this team for Kellen Mond to take over and them to try to open a Super Bowl window. Now, I think their biggest problem, the reason why they are not the team that they even thought they were maybe six months ago, I don't know, maybe their opinion has changed. But they just paid Kirk Cousins again not too long ago, less than a year ago. So maybe it, is it a short deal? I'm it's another sure. short deal, but, but his first guaranteed. deal was short. Yeah, yeah, all guaranteed. But I think most of the games they lose, I have them losing to teams like the uh, Seahawks, the the Rams, the Chargers, the Cardinals, Cleveland, Baltimore. Those teams all have better quarterbacks. I think they're going to beat you all. Dallas? Yes. You can't stop the run. Dalvin Cook is going to eat you alive. Teams that can't stop, I think teams that can't stop the run, they are going to have their way with. So I won't get that granular just yet. We will when we get closer to the season. But I think as of, because, you know, things, a lot of things can change. Dalvin Cook is rarely healthy for an entire season. He could get, he could get hurt. Cowboys could trade for somebody. I, a lot of things could happen. All I'm saying is looking at their schedule today and looking at the quarterbacks they play and the teams they play, I think eight losses is very reasonable for them. And I think manageable for them. And I think, again, tiebreakers in the division between the Bears and the Vikings. So you also had the Lions. Where do you have the Lions finishing this division? I think the Lions will be lucky to get out of this season with two wins. Oof. Like, I I think the Lions You think Jared Goff can't get it done in Detroit? uh, With no receivers? Uh, Julio trade. That's why the Julio trade (laughs) should happen, by the way. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, even even if you think Jared Goff is good... And even if you think that O-line for them is significantly better with the addition of Sewell, which I think both of those things can be true, this team is devoid of talent at the skill positions. And it's going to be very hard for them to put up points, and they have never had a defense that's been a large stopper. Like for Chicago, we could be like, sometimes it's hard for us to put up points. That has been a consistent problem for us over the past couple of years. But our defense frequently bails us out. They'll have you in the game. Exactly. The Detroit Lions are in the lose-lose situation of your defense can't bail you out and your offense can't be explosive. We know Jared Goff can't make the same type of explosive plays Matt Stafford did when he was around. And then we know they don't have anywhere near the same level of wide receiver talent that they had when Matt Stafford was around anyway. Kenny Galladay signed that big old contract up in New York, getting ready to catch dimes from Danny Dimes. Yeah, I just don't know. I think this team is going to be pretty bad, and I think the only wins they're going to get is probably a fluky win against the Cardinals. Week 15, 
for some reason, they just they just love beating the Cardinals. Like their last two matchups, they beat the Cardinals and tied the Cardinals at Arizona. And that's odd. And I think they might also snatch one off of like the Vikings, a fluky in divisional in division round. So mm-hmm. here's what I'll say. I, I think they do finish last in this division. I agree with you on that. I didn't run through their schedule the same way that you did and go through it week by week. But it feels like two is a little low. It's hard to be that bad in the NFL. I'll say that. Even bad teams win. The Jets? Like I said, it's hard to be that bad. They literally they lost the game almost on purpose because the defensive coordinator called a zero blitz when they could have just played regular-ass prevent defense. It's hard to be that bad in the NFL. Even really bad teams accidentally win three or four games, especially in a 17-game season. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I think they will be bad. I think they will be the fourth team in this division. I just think they might win more than two games. If I was betting over under, I'd bet the over on that. Uh, okay. That's all I'm saying. I, that is fair. <laughs> I would like it, it'd be hard to not bet the over on that just because of like it's so the low. probability spread. Yes. <laughs> they just reached the margin for saying wins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've been dancing around this for a little bit here, but I think we all think if Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay come opening day, the Green Bay Packers are the best team in this division. I went through their schedule. I think it's reasonable for them to go 11 and 6. That's about on par with what they've done the past two years with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. That's even accounting for having some injuries at running back or wide receiver throughout the year. I think they take a couple surprise losses, but some other reasonable ones. So I think they lose at San Francisco, um, at Minnesota. Those are the kind of surprises. Oh, man. Do you think San Francisco is a surprise? A little bit. Just a tad. Just a tad. I don't think it is. Defense is solid, but can Jimmy G... Get it done, or will this be a Fields game? Uh, or not a Fields, but a Trey Lance a, a Trey game? Lance game. I think it's going to be a run game game because that's who, that's who they want to do is. to the Green the yeah. Packers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's also why I think you're right about the Minnesota game. The strong run games will always give them a problem. Um, other games, they lose at Kansas City. I think that's very easy to <laughs> yeah. pick. I think they probably lose against the Rams. I think that's reasonable. They have a shootout or something. Lose at Arizona, lose at Chicago. Okay. I think, okay. So I think if Aaron Rodgers is there, they probably go closer to 10 and 7. And that's just because I think it's going to be a tough year. Like everybody in the building is going to be demoralized, right? He won't want to be there. Everybody knows he doesn't want to be there. There's going to be a ton of tension with the front office, ton of tension with the head coaches. Like the cloud that hangs over this team. If Aaron Rodgers comes back without some grand, grand reconciliation, is I think he's going to put a hamper on them. I think they'll lose some games they're not supposed to. That's reasonable. Okay. So, Packers win this. If Rodgers is not there, who wins the division? Bears? Oh, yeah. If Rodgers is not there, the Bears will win the division. We'll get two wins off of the Packers. Like I mentioned again, we'll probably be a 10-win team, and I, I think that helps us out a lot. Uh, I... I, I am interested, though, if he's not there to see what Jordan Love is. Well, I'm interested in what people think. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers will be a Green Bay Packer on opening day? Hit us up on Twitter at the Fly Route Pod. We'll have a poll for you. Uh, please vote, and we'll let you know the results of that next week. What's up, what's up, what's up Playboy? 
All right, welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So we're going to talk about something a little bit closer to home this time. And this particular story, this bouquet is about being a black man and some of the things that you hear about yourself in the world, growing up, see on TV, etc. And one of those things is that, for whatever reason, people believe that all black men are absent fathers, or that all black men had absent fathers. And that's not necessarily the case. That's not, of course, we know that stereotypes are not indicative of an entire group of people, that everybody is different. It is what it is. So when Miami Heat guard Kendrick Nunn hears these stereotypes, he thinks the exact opposite things. He was raised by his single father in Chicago, and he currently now has full custody of his own son. When asked about this particular subject, Nunn said that when I hear things like that, I honestly just think that they haven't been exposed to good black fathers out there that are actually taking care of responsibilities and taking care of their children. There are single black fathers out there like that, and actually the first thing that comes to mind is my dad. There are single fathers out there that ain't doing good things. Nunn feels very, very strongly about the issue of perception of black men being single fathers. And to help change this perception, he has recently partnered with the National Basketball Players Association and a nonprofit organization called the Dovetail Project that helps men in Chicago who are single parents. So Nunn recently donated $5,000 of his own money to this nonprofit and the NBAPA matched that donation. And for that work, he is our recipient of a big baller's bouquet. All right. So Kendrick grew up with his older sister, Kendall. And a Wait, nigga, what? Kendrick and Kendall? Yeah. That that took you by surprise? That's shocking? I always don't understand why parents do that. <laughs> a like, lot of parents do that. Just give them the same name. <laughs> it's like you couldn't think of two. <laughs> Anyways, Kendrick grew up with his older sister, Kendall, and they were both raised by their father, Melvin, who had uh, to take full custody of them because their mother had some mental health issues she was dealing with. She eventually did come back into their life later on, but for the most part, they were raised by their dad, starting from when they were young. His father, Melvin, was a full-time delivery truck driver and was primarily on his own raising the kids. He had some help from family and friends, but mostly on his own. He talked about, particularly when Melvin, Melvin Kendrick's dad was asked about this kind of whole growing up, raising Kendrick, who's now an NBA guard and a player for the Miami Heat, who's doing very well, I might add. Um, he said people were often surprised to hear that he was a single father and would just say, wow, like that's not something I guess people hear very commonly. And so they were just literally surprised and floored by the idea that a black man with almost no help could raise two kids in Chicago. So there's that. Now, speaking of which, they grew up in, is this Calumet City? Yes, it is. I actually had family that used to live there. All right. They grew up in a little house in Calumet City. It's a predominantly black suburb of Chicago. They lived in the same house for most of their entire life. Uh, Melvin bonded with Kendrick and Kendall by playing basketball. And so that kind of formed the connection to where Kendrick is today. And there are all kinds of stories um, like this that are out there. 
uh, Kendrick Nunn wants us to hear about more of these stories. I think these are good stories. These stories make my heart feel good. I don't know about you. Um, and I want to help other men out there who are in similar situations because fathers in particular are not usually seen as single parents in general, black, white, or, or not, or whatever. And so any organization that helps these men figure out how to be a better father, a better man is something I'm willing to support. And I think that you all should be willing to support. And so that is my kind of transition to saying, kind of plugging the Dovetail Project, which we talked about a little bit before, but this is a project or organization that helps single fathers, particularly black and Hispanic single fathers between 17 and 24 years old. They give them the resources, both material and in support to be better fathers and better men. For example, during COVID-19, the Dovetail Project helps single fathers uh, basically stay at home by providing them resources like diapers and formula and all kinds of things that they need. So if you want to help out single fathers and you particularly like hearing about the Dovetail Project, check out our Twitter Friday morning when we drop. Already tweeted out the link for you to be able to check out the Dovetail Project. And if you're feeling so kind after you read more about them, donating to them. That's our Ballers Bouquet. We will see you next week. And don't forget about your fathers next month. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right. That is it for episode 37 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you all for listening, wherever it is, whether you're on our YouTube channel our Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, whatever it is, we appreciate you all a ton. Please take the time to either like whatever you're watching, but most importantly, subscribe, follow, etc. so you don't miss any of our episode drops or any of our updates. And as always, we'll see you next Friday. What about the memes? They can't forget the memes. The memes? We share lots of hot memes. We do share lots of hot memes. They should follow, you should follow just for the memes. Yes, definitely, definitely. Twitter, Instagram, we be on the memes. Big facts. See you next week.